the election is over. That is the rule of law. That is our constitutional process. Those who refuse to accept the rulings of our courts are at war with the Constitution. Our duty is clear. Every one of us who has sworn the oath must act to prevent the unraveling of our democracy. This is not about policy. This is not about partisanship. This is about our duty as Americans. Remaining silent and ignoring the lie emboldens the liar. I will not participate in that. I will not sit back and watch in silence while others lead our party down a path that abandons the rule of law and joins the former president's crusade to undermine our democracy. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That was a short clip of Congresswoman Liz Cheney's speech on the House floor from May 11th, 2021, as the Republican conference was planning their ultimately successful vote to remove her as Republican conference leader, the number three Republican leadership position. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, January 11th. Moving from last May to today, we're still hearing echoes of Cheney's speech in the politics this week, from the open questions about election reform to challenges to the big lie from establishment Republicans to the consequences of the January 6th insurrection. Also, with announcements over the weekend, we finally have a final slate of Senate candidates across the country for the midterms. But first, the kind of big piece that we're all still looking at is what's happening with the attempts to pass the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. As I mentioned last week, Senator Schumer has announced that he will hold a vote in the Senate on rules change, how to adjust the filibuster to allow for passage of these voting rights bills on MLK Day next Monday, if not sooner. There's been a lot of pressure building, a lot of mobilizing, a lot of calls and lobbying behind the scenes. There's been ad buys from both Republicans and Democrats in West Virginia and Arizona in particular, trying to pressure Senator Manchin and Senator Senate on these issues. But there have been no really big developments or changes, a lot of positioning. Um, one big thing that happened last week, Mitch McConnell signaled that he's open to reforming the Electoral Count Act, the law governing how Congress certifies presidential elections, which is filled with a lot of gaps and ambiguities, as we saw on January 6th. But Democrats fear this is really just a poison pill designed to undermine attempts to pass the Freedom to Vote Act, an offer that says, look, let's reform this much smaller piece of election legislation in a bipartisan way, and then we won't have to do the bigger piece of reform. Some lawmakers are actually jumping on that. Both Manchin and Sinema endorsed pursuing work on the Electoral Count Act last Wednesday, as did a number of Republican senators, but there has been no movement from any Republicans on the Freedom to Vote Act. The other big thing related to this is coming up later today, President Biden is actually expected to endorse changing Senate rules to pass new Voting Rights Act during a speech in Atlanta at the Atlanta University Center Consortium, a consortium of four historically black colleges and universities. That'll be his most significant step to publicly pressure lawmakers on passing the Freedom to Vote Act. And what is expected is that he's going to endorse a filibuster carve-out in the case of voting rights. So there's really two options that are being floated. Could we do a carve-out, as has been done in the past in many ways to say, this type of legislation or that type of legislation can be passed without the filibuster. Most recent we saw was the carve out for judicial nominations. 
The other would be actually to un to change or eliminate the filibuster itself, change the mechanics of it or get rid of it. So far, the chance to actually eliminate the filibuster seems almost non-existent. But the real question is either a carve out or a change in the process of the filibuster itself. Something to be watching for in these next few days. Expect a lot of pressure, a lot of grandstanding, and then there's going to be a vote. We'll see which way it goes. Also echoing uh, that clip from Liz Cheney's speech, um, we've been seeing Republican establishment leaders kind of pushing a little bit in the last couple of days against Trump. Um, and that really started Senator Mike Rounds from South Dakota appeared on Sunday on ABC News, where he said that the 2020 election was fair and that Trump lost. Quote, we simply did not win the election as Republicans for the presidency. Of course, Trump freaked out as a result, issued a long rambling statement about him and said that he will never endorse that jerk again. Rounds retorted that, you know, the need is for the party to focus on, quote, what lies ahead, not what's in the past. And you had other senators jumping on board. Mitt Romney uh, tweeted that Rounds speaks the truth, knowing that our Republican depends on it. In Alaska, Senator Murkowski actually made fun of Trump on Friday with a local political news outlet. So you are seeing some of the establishment Republicans kind of pushing at the edges against Trump, but it's still mostly at the edges. The other thing, looking back at January 6th, uh, we're seeing a bunch of articles come out in the last couple of days about whether Mike Pence, former vice president, will testify to the January 6th commission. Basically, the way to interpret that is you're seeing all of these articles because both Pence's team and members of the January 6th invest, uh, House committee are kind of positioning publicly around the negotiations they're doing privately. Which way will it head? Too soon to tell. A lot of these uh, leaks are designed to put pressure on the negotiations that we'll see come to a head in the next couple of weeks. Also yesterday, a federal judge in D.C. questioned whether Trump's actions during his speech on January 6th and afterwards allow him to be immune from liability related to the attacks on the U.S. Capitol. So a judge, uh, we're expecting judgment from that initial case of whether the case can move forward or not in the next few days. Another interesting development, and the first, was that in North Carolina yesterday, 11 voters filed a challenge with the State Board of Elections to Madison Cawthorn's candidacy for re-election. They challenged the candidacy, the application for re-election on the grounds that he's disqualified by this third section of the 14th Amendment, which prohibits anyone from holding office who had previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or member of the uh, officer of the United States to support the U.S. Constitution, who had, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. It's a quote from the Constitution, from the 14th Amendment of the Constitution itself. What's interesting is that in North Carolina law, it says the burden of proof shall be on the candidate who has to show that there's a preponderance of evidence that they are qualified to be a candidate for office. So it's not on the challengers, it's on Madison Cawthorn to say, I have not engaged in insurrection or rebellion. And this group of challengers are saying it's gonna be the first of many to all of the members of Congress who supported the insurrection. So all these different ways that the kind of ramifications of January 6th continue to play out. 
The other big development is on the Senate midterms. So two big announcements over the weekend. John Thune made the announcement on Saturday that he is going to be seeking a fourth term as a senator from South Dakota. This was a big question. He's the number two Republican in the Senate, often seen as the likely successor to Mitch McConnell for Senate leadership, not one of Trump's favorites because he did uh, support certification and said that Trump lost the election. The other big one was then on Sunday, the next day, Wisconsin Republican Ron Johnson announced that he's going to be running for a third term. He's overturning and letting go of his pledge to retire after two terms. And he was really the only other member of the Senate still mulling retirement. So unless there's any big surprises or any big shifts, this means a total of five Republicans and one Democrat not seeking re-election. On the Democrats, the only uh, retiree is Vermont's Patrick Leahy. Was 81 years old, one of the Senate's oldest members and also the longest serving member of Congress. But Vermont is likely seen as a safe uh, Democratic seat, so it's not going to affect the balance of power, just who is in that seat. On the Republican side, you actually see retirements Richard Shelby in Alabama, Roy Blunt in Missouri, Richard Burr in North Carolina, Rob Portman in Ohio, and Pat Toomey in Pennsylvania. Significant is all of them are seen as more moderate or establishment members of the Republican caucus, and especially in Alabama and Missouri, uh, but also North Carolina and Ohio, you're seeing much more conservative, far-right Trumpist Republicans running to replace them. Pennsylvania is the wild card. There are so many Republicans running in the Republican primary there. Which way it goes is really anyone's guess, but overall what it means is that the Senate is going to be more partisan, if you can believe it, after the midterms than it is now. And the Republican Party in particular is going to get pulled more in the direction of Trump. So really creating an even more divisive dynamic for the second half of Biden's first term in office. So that's the developments we've got on the democracy front uh, so far this week. By this time next week, we'll know the immediate fate of the Freedom to Vote Act and filibuster rules change. You know, that vote is going to be called on Monday, if not before. So we're either going to see a big success. I would expect to see if we can pass the filibuster reform, the Freedom to Vote Act will pass afterwards and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Amendments, of course, will be made to both if they move forward. If filibuster reform doesn't pass, we're really going to see, I would expect, a shift back to the states. And there's still going to be ongoing lobbying in the federal level, but it's going to be very hard to pass after this kind of final push moment. So a lot to be watching for in the next few days, and I'll let you know about it next week. Until then, I'm Jason Franklin, and I will talk to you next Tuesday on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Take care.